Hi, my name is Jen, and welcome to A Wild and Precious Life, where each week I invite guests to share how one of my articles on Medium relates to their experiences in life. I write about a lot of different topics, but all share a common theme, how to live an authentic life in a messy world. I hope this podcast inspires you as you listen to my guests laugh, share, and discover the beauty in their one wild and precious life. Hey everyone, it's Jen and welcome to episode five of A Wild and Precious Life. It feels so crazy to be on my fifth episode, yet here we are. Today I'm going to read to you from an article I wrote of a tale of two mornings. A little bit of how I used to handle mornings when we were running late to how I chose to handle it recently. I know that things can be really hectic and stressful around the holiday season, so I thought it would be a good time to drop this so that we can all realize that taking a moment, taking a breath, doesn't just benefit us, but benefits our kids as well. I am joined today after the article reading with Cara Terrell. She is a parenting coach and the founder of Core 4 Parenting. Her parenting coaching is actually designed to help parents in the earliest stages of life, starting with the third trimester, and how they can best set up a strong foundation for good communication and parenting throughout those vital early years and on into the future. But whether you're a parent or not, stick around, listen to my story, and then uh, stick around and listen to what Cara has to say because a lot of us are parents of maybe older kids. She addresses teenagers. Some of us might be thinking of parenthood. So she has some good um, thoughts for just navigating life in general. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the article. A Tale of Two Mornings, or Why I Let My Son Skip School. I recently listened to The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, and I have so many feelings about the whole book. I plan on writing a deep dive review of the book once I get the physical copy in my hands. I would highly recommend the audio version as well. I found it very entertaining. One of the concepts that highly resonated with me was Hendrick's idea of Einstein time. Einstein time is when you allow yourself to be in a flow state and take all the time that you need to complete a task before moving on to the next one. You don't focus on a list of to-dos, but you focus on the task at hand. Of course, if you have to stop for a meeting or an obligation, you should respect the other person's time and do so. However, when you are in a flow state, you are best served to continue your task. Recently, I toyed with this idea on a morning with too much to do and too little time. It was one of those mornings that could have gone one of two ways. After reading Hendrick's book, I decided to master master the morning tasks in my way. I woke with a start and groaned as I glanced at the clock. I listened for the telltale signs of my teenage son getting ready for school. Shower? Silent. Wrestling in his room? None. Dog nosing at my door after being released from her crate? Absent. 
With, I with a sigh, I realized that not only had I sneezed longer than expected, but that my son wasn't awake at all. This morning was one of his, quote, late mornings, meaning that school didn't start until 9 a.m. for him. We had plenty of time to get him there in usual circumstances, but this morning wasn't usual. Our dog was due at the vet across town at 9 a.m. I staggered out of bed, pulled on my robe, and crossed the hall to my son's room. Hey, get up, we're late. At the word late, he sat up, hair askew, and rubbed the sleep from his eyes. He hates being late almost as much as I do, which is saying a lot for a teenage boy. I went back to my room and started to game plan the morning. I did the mental math that would get him to school on time and us to the vet on time. I subtracted and added for traffic. I hate math, and I hate rushed mornings. I knew that I could make it work with a lot of heavy breathing, fast driving, and irritated mutterings under my breath. I could slow to a rolling stop as my son tucked and rolled out of the car. I could hover just above the 20-mile-per-hour school zone before flooring it and simultaneously slamming our lab back against, the ba back against the seat as I fought snarling traffic, uttering a few snarls of my own. God, I hated rush mornings. I needed another way. And then I remembered that, despite a tardy bell, I was the one in charge of this morning. I wanted to have a good morning. I didn't want to have a rushed morning where I was frustrated by traffic, lack of coffee, or my son's failure to set his alarm. So I took a deep breath and evaluated my choices. One me, two places, and one goal. What would make this morning the least stressful for all, including our lab, who was seeing a new vet for the first time? So I decided. I finished getting ready, not cutting corners or skipping vital self-care practices, which would only serve to amp my ever-present anxiety. I didn't fuss at my son or rush him along, which would only raise his already heightened cortisol levels. Instead, after getting ready, I went to the front yard where he had taken the dog out. Donuts? I asked. He looked up surprised. This wasn't an unusual treat, but on a morning when we were running late, it wasn't expected. Sure, he answered hesitantly. I said, okay, since we are running late and Joy has the vet, I'm going to take you with me and drop you off after. He smiled. Works for me. Now, a caveat here is my son is well advanced in all his classes, never misses, and oh yeah, his first period was study hall. However, regardless of the circumstances, which did work well in our favor, my mindset and willing to roll with the situation is what made the difference. It wasn't life or death, but it was a small practice training my mind how I might react when being late might not be as low impact. It's something we can all remember when we're running late or managing multiple responsibilities with limited time. My attitude provided my son some space and relief from his stress of being late. We were able to enjoy a quick snack on the way to the vet he was able to be the designated person emotional support for our dog, which he loves to be, and I was able to spend some time just connecting with him on the drive back and forth. My decision made not only my morning better, but those around me. After our morning spent not embracing the crazy and adrenaline, I found such peace in the rest of the day. I was able to focus on the things that were important for the day and ignore the things that could wait. 
be tender run late, I wouldn't recommend throwing in the towel every morning. I would recommend reevaluating your wake-up time. But for those of us who find ourselves surprised on occasion, it's worth considering a choice that allows space for life, not the outward expectations of others. Of course, my son and I discussed how the alarm must be set to avoid being late, and I also moved the dog's next appointment to a later time, giving me myself a larger window to get there after drop-off and tra- after traffic. But for that one morning, when it felt like the stars didn't align, I realize now they aligned perfectly. Thank you guys so much for listening. There will be a link to the full article in the show notes. And now I am pleased to introduce Kara and have her speak about um, how we can manage expectations for our kids, whether we're late in the morning or not. Kara, thank you so much for joining me today. Will you get started just telling the guests a little bit about you and your background? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me today, Jen. So I am Cara Terrell, founder of Core 4 Parenting, but long before this was my reality, I spent a life, my lifetime so far just loving on little people. And I worked as a teacher. I got my degree in early childhood education. I noticed there was a discrepancy between the readiness of the kids coming to school. And so I moved into being a nanny and spent some time really working with tiny people to try to create some methodologies that would help them be more ready as learners once they got to kindergarten. Um, I've raised three kids of my own, and I feel like it's time for all of that to come together. And so here I am. That is so great. Um, You know, working with children is a lifetime love of mine. And as a former educator, and who's certified in, you know, EC through eight, early childhood is a vital, vital point of children's lives. However, early childhood, as you know, does definitely mimic our teens because both areas of life have the most brain growth of any other um, area. So I'm really excited to have you to chat with me today about my article And so just wanted to get some, you know, first takeaways and and what you felt resonated, you know, tips that could help other parents that might be in that stressful mornings or just stressful points with kids. Absolutely. And you're so right. You know, the the developmental space of a toddler is exactly the same as the developmental space of a teenager. The only difference is, are we connected enough with our teenagers and have a solid relationship with them so we can do exactly what you did in your article? You know, are we able to take a breath and assess what's the most important thing here? What's the outcome that we're looking for? And does sometimes, sometimes do we need to compromise and either with ourselves and with our teens in order to make that happen. And that's what I really loved most about your article. Uh, I'm super, I go deep into the psychology of human connection when I think about my relationships with everybody, but specifically my teenagers, right? We're preparing them to make these decisions when they move out and do their own thing. And so If I want my teenagers to be able to stop, pause, assess the situation, 
think about their outcome and make a decision, then I need to be able to do that too. And that's exactly what you did. And it was incredibly powerful for, for both of you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I agree. It was, I would say, a light bulb moment in parenting, maybe a little bit of a flash of lightning. I will not pretend to anyone listening that that is always my go-to. We are all developing and, you know, changing. And so I credit the mistakes I made with the previous two to maybe having a better idea of how to handle that morning specifically. Um, Tell me a little bit about how you coach parents. Um, What age groups do you work with and and what sorts of things do you um, do to help parents build these strong bonds and relationships? Well, um, as a one-on-one coach, I can work with parents who have kids of any age in the curriculum that I've designed in the core four methodology. I focus very intensely on the period of birth to five, because as you said, you know, 85% of brain growth and foundational skill development areas are done by five years old. And so that's a really important time and space for us to use and capitalize on. And then once they become older, we can kind of tap back into that foundation that we've laid. Um, So my strategies are, they really follow the scientific method. And that's what I loved about your article so much. And I was like, oh, she gets it. She's using the scientific method to really ground herself in outcome-based decision-making. When I coach parents, we talk a lot about the magic of a parenting mindset And we talk a lot about the power of perspective. And if we have a mindset that we've chosen, the style of parent we desire to be, the outcome that we are looking to create for our kids as they develop into their natural selves, and we're setting up an environment for them to do that in. And then we can apply perspective to how might my kid be seeing this experience? I think that that's really, really key. Um, You know, I know that when I look back, um, you know, parenting my children, I probably wasn't as scientific all the time as I hope, but I do think that, you know, practice and, you know, learning these skills or just being aware of a different way to parent, respond, and react in in even not just parenting, but in situations at, as a whole, um, just discerning what is it that I want the outcome to be. And being that example for your child can be really, really powerful. And you modeled that that morning. We're always modeling for our kids. And you just said something very important to me, which is the word react. So at core four, our methodology is all about proactive responses as opposed to knee-jerk reactions. And they're powerful. If we can, even that's where the mindset and awareness comes in, because when we stop, even for a millisecond, our brains can no longer justify the knee-jerk fight-or-flight reaction we were about to use, whether it's with our body's motions or the words we were going to use. And so when I coach parents, we talk a lot about intentional language use. And one of my favorite things in your article was, um, would you like donuts? (laughs) 
<laughs> and I was, I mean, when, when you think about it from a scripting perspective, it's not necessarily an intentional language choice, but it so was because what was the reaction? It got attention. He became aware of the situation and was more than willing to listen to what you had to say and have a conversation about how to be part of the solution. Collaborative problem solving comes from a proactive parenting space. Well, it was lucky because this is my child who wanted donuts for his birthday cake. So (laughs) he's always been a huge donut fan. So I knew I had him at the word donut (laughs) for certain. And so it did make it a, a little bit easier. I'd like to dive in a little bit more. You talked about, you know, your proactive responses. I always credited myself as being a really proactive parent, but it wasn't from a place of necessarily knowledge at more than it's more than a place of anxiety. I was always I was always there right before a tantrum could happen because I could sense it. What sort of advice could you give to people listening um, that you give to parents about how to create these proactive responses? What sort of things to look for and um, tell, give them some tips on, on what they could be doing when they're stuck in a situation where they have two choices and they need to decide which way to go? Well, you know... There's two different types, and I think you just modeled it well, of proactive parenting approaches. One is when you're in the middle of a situation that needs resolving, right? And at that point, your proactiveness is, I will help resolve this situation, but I will not exacerbate it. The proactive solution tips that we really feel have massive impact come after that, because Regardless of the age of your child, if they're elevated, if, if you're elevated, if there's a high emotion, you're not going to be able to really get to the root cause. So you need to come back to it later when everybody's calm and say something like, wow, I realized that was really hard for both of us, but we did it. We got through it. The problem was fill in the blank what could we do differently next time so that we didn't get there? I have some ideas as your mom, but I'm wondering if you have some ideas of what might feel good to you when you notice we're about to get to that spot. So like you said, you could sense the tantrum before it was coming. With our teenagers, we need to continue to use those senses, but then give them the ability to be part of that process. When you sense you're about to lose your patience with me, when I sense we're about to start arguing instead of problem solving, what could we do? What are some words we could choose? What are s- You tell me what you think might feel good. And after that, if it doesn't work, we'll come back and we'll come up with a new plan and we'll try again. I love that. I love that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely in the midst of it with teenagers. And one thing that's so great about teenagers is that um, they definitely like to stonewall. They mm-hmm. definitely will shut down. And sometimes it's hard to get through to them. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to even get through the floor path of their room. 
So what are some advice you could give to parents of teenagers or young adults that are listening on how they can better connect with their adult, young adult children? Write them a letter. I have um, an almost 19-year-old, and during her 16th year, live talking and problem-solving, although we'd always been pretty good at it in the past, just became a huge challenge. And uh, something that your listeners maybe know, um, but if not, it's never you can never hear it too many times, <laughs> is that between 16 and 26 years old, those final growth development spaces in the prefrontal cortex where kids are learning how to assess problems, make their own decisions, own their own consequences, be responsible for their own selves, are still developing. Mm-hmm. They really struggle with live time reactions. And you can get yourself into a big pickle if you're <laughs> expecting them to give you a quick answer, a quick response. They need more processing time to come up with a solution than they did when they were 10. Um, so write them a letter. Tell them how you're feeling. Tell them what str- the problem is. Tell them the struggle and ask them to get back to you when they're ready. If the stone wall just keeps going and going and you're not getting the response, then give them a deadline. Three days ago, I gave you that note. I'm really looking forward to having some feedback from you so that we can continue to work this issue. If I don't hear from you about it in two more days, we're just going to sit down and talk it out. And nothing strikes fear more in the heart of a teenage boy than having to sit down and talk. (laughs) So I love that advice from from my perspective. And I I do find it very powerful to, you know, write things out for my my boys. Um, But, of course, I'm a writer. So that... They they can sometimes cringe. They're like, oh, it's coming. <laughs> if she's writing it, it's coming. <laughs> but um, I think that's really, really solid advice. Um, you know, and I think that letters can be really powerful, a powerful way to communicate with anyone because it does take that pressure off of immediate response, like you said, and it allows time for processing on both sides. So I really, really appreciate that. And it allows you to tell them how you are feeling. Whether or not we realize it, our kids are, I mean, they are just a ball of feelings as teenagers. And they don't have the ability to apply perspective and sing, I wonder how my mom feels about this. You get to tell them exactly how you're feeling in that letter and it humanizes it for them. Yes, yes. I can I can really see where that would be really helpful for people. Is there any are there any other parenting tips that you'd like to throw out this morning um, or anything that you'd like to share? It can be based on the article, it can just be based in general, um, just general things that you'd like to tell people or tell people more about core four. What I love to share with all parents is don't ever forget that you are in relationship with your children. Just as you are in relationship with your partner and your coworkers and the checkout clerk at the grocery store, everybody is in relationship to each other. Just because you have this very intense connection to these tiny humans that you made who are growing up to be young adults, it can get really overwhelming. Don't forget, you are you. 
and who you are and who you were before you became a parent is still you. And you gave birth to somebody who has their very own who-ness, their natural <laughs> self, and you've known it since the day they were born. You can look back and say, oh, they've always been so, and fill in all those blanks, outgoing or shy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, um, they've always been someone who responded really well to my physical comfort or not. Like, in the throes of teenage parenting, don't forget who your child is and meet them there. They will really, really be grateful for it. That is such amazing advice. I absolutely love it. So, um, Kara, tell my listeners where they can find you. I'm going to put all your information in the show notes, but um, let them know, you know, who, you know, age ranges that you're working with, um, you know, what your website is, what's the best way to reach you, all of that. Excellent. Thank you. So you can find us um, in our socials at core, the number four parenting, Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to know more about me and my background and my education, I'm Cara Terrell at LinkedIn. Um, and then our website is core4parenting.com. And you'll be reading a lot on that website about capitalizing on those early developmental years of birth to five. Don't let that don't let that worry you because the methodologies and the results that this type of interacting with our kids has applies all the way up through their adult years. My curriculum just happens to be built for people who are just starting the journey of parenting. But if you are struggling and you really need some one-on-one support, feel free to go ahead and book some time and I'd see what I can do about helping you apply that perspective shift that we were talking about. Kara, thank you so much for your time. This has been excellent. I can't wait to have you back on for more parenting discussions of early childhood, teens, maybe even tweens because mm-hmm. they're their own special set. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening as well. Um, This has been A Wild and Precious Life with Cara Terrell from Core 4 Parenting. Thank you guys so much.